This is episode 133 of the Mindset Game podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach, and owner of James Robert Fitness. Why not check out some of my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Each week on the Mindset Game podcast, we bring you an inspirational athlete, message, or expert talking about human optimization to teach you how to change the perception of your mindset and become 1% better. Make sure to share this with your friends on your Instagram story, on Twitter, or on Facebook. They can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that they listen to podcasts by searching for Mindset Game Podcast. And on today's show, I've got Cameron Pierce. He is a retired pro rugby player from concussions, an advocate for numerous player safety platforms, notably the Rugby Safety Network and Concussion Legacy Foundation. Uh, aware of the symptoms yeah. to look out for, be it well, yeah. even players themselves are going to try and play it down to a certain extent so they're not taken off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Because when I, you know, when I was a kid, I'd in a big game, you're gonna say anything to to stay in the game, even if you're seeing stars or or you're dizzy or you can only see out of one eye. I mean, I've done it. I've done it loads of times, and you know, I had to retire from rugby at the age of 25. So, uh, yeah, it's just. I think it's just about properly educating and the the knowledge is is there and it's getting better and better take a screenshot and tag at cdps4 and at james o roberts 11 without further ado let's get into today's show so welcome on to the show cameron thanks for having me so before we delve into today's topic cameron can you give a brief overview of how you got kind of into rugby in the first place uh, so being Canadian, I started playing ice hockey when I was about four years old until 17. Uh, one of the sports at my high school, the, one of the male sports that was actually taking off to be a good program was rugby. Uh, so naturally I, I signed up for it. Uh, to be quite honest, I had no idea what I was doing for the first three years. Uh, shuffled between inside and outside center, could barely spin past left. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, yeah, just eventually I ended up getting taller and bigger than everybody else. So I started to enjoy being a bit more dominant on the field. And thus, I got recognized for, for a men's team, uh, the Kelowna, Kelowna men's team, which is a town, a bigger town than where I'm from, down the road. So uh, when I was about 16, I started playing men's rugby. And that was what really, I guess you could say, opened up the, the floodgate for me. They introduced me, took me under their arms, and introduced me to both the the on-field and off-field aspect that comes with club rugby and you know I kind of fell in love with it from there and for those people that are listening that don't know the difference between inside and outside center 
What are the kind of key differences between the positions? Uh, one, you have a, I guess you'd say more of a crash ball runner, somebody who's big and 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 heavy and hits hard lines and and you know one that gets the ball out quicker. But I mean, I'm not. I'm by in no means a specialist when it comes to. To backs, even now, I have you know, I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and like for like personal preference, did you have a, a particular favorite that you preferred to play? Uh, honestly, no. I just like being out there. I just like being out on the field. But when I started getting getting bigger and taller, they stuck me to stuck me right at number eight. And so I got to carry the ball quite a bit off the back of the scrum. And, you know, that was, that kind of made me a bit more aggressive, uh, aggressive ball runner for my age anyways. And then I kept growing up and I stopped growing, growing out. So I was a tall, lanky, uh, ended up being a tall, lanky second row. And that's where I, that's where I stuck. Well, that's not too bad. That's generally the position, well, being based where I'm in Wales, you, you'd associate the, the back row as tall, quite lanky, and, and quite physical players. And now we move on, obviously, to you being re- become retired as a, res- as a result of uh, concussion. Do you actually have any recollection of the what co- uh, well, how the collision that caused it? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Well, start off with thinking my my first real known concussion for me occurred when I was about oh I'd have to say thirteen years old. I remember playing, and then all of a sudden, I just was on the sidelines eating oranges, uh, and I had lost. So I had lost about. Uh, 45 minutes wow. to an hour of memory at, at that age. So that was the first one, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that I had, uh, you know, was really like, oh, wow. Okay. That's a, that's a concussion had a few symptoms after, but you know, that, that was probably, well, that was over 10 years ago now. So the knowledge just wasn't there. I ended up playing the, the following weekend with no questions asked, even at that age, you know, just wasn't a big deal. And so that kind of started a whole history of concussions, uh, both in ice hockey and rugby, uh, being a bit of a reckless, reckless teenager, you know, where I'm from, we do a lot of cliff jumping into the water and a lot of wakeboarding and, skateboarding and mountain biking, you know, so I have, I estimate that I have about 15, around 15 concussions. And the last one specifically, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. I was conscious for, for all of it. I remember everything. You don't have to be knocked out to, to get a concussion quite the opposite, really. I, I don't know the exact statistic on it, but I'd say the majority of concussions, you're still conscious. And when was it you kind of thought, well, it's maybe time to hang up the boots? Uh, one of my friends had, uh, well, he has three children and 
we'd go over to their house quite a bit. Um, so when I, it was about, I don't know, three weeks to a month after the concussion and the boy who at the time was about 11 years old asked me to read him a story that he had, uh, made himself at school. And I started reading the story to him and I just got completely confused, just lost, had no idea where I was on the page. So I started again at the beginning and then I read down a few sentences, same thing, totally confused, started reading it again. Then, you know, he kind of was just like, okay, uh, you know, I could see on his face that he was confused himself. So I just said, you know, I'm sorry, but I can't, uh, I can't finish this story for you. And it, it, it really hit me, you know, it hit me hard cause it was, it, you know, I couldn't explain it. It was, it was something that I hadn't ever experienced or, I mean, so it was a bit sad, you know, I got a bit teary eyed from that. And then the symptoms just never really uh, subdued migraines, irritability, especially with my wife. Uh, the poor girl, I give her credit for, you know, she's stood by me the whole time and it hasn't been easy for her, right? With the mood swings and the memory, memory loss and, and whatnot. Cause you know, they say it's a, the, the invisible injury, right? But out of all the injuries I've had, it's by far the worst. But what, what does it do to you, like, emotionally? Because I'm assuming it would cause some anxiety because it's, well, in essence, it's taken away your identity. Yeah, well, for the first few months to a year, uh, it was really bad. I didn't even want to step foot outside my house. Uh, I just even around my teammates, around coaches, around anybody, around anybody that I had to speak, speak to out of my own comfort zone was, you know, it was difficult. It was hard to, it's hard to go to the supermarket. It was hard to go to the rugby club. It was, you know, it was just a, a weird, weird, weird place to be in. And I had never, I've never been like that ever in my life. I've always been very outgoing, very, uh, you know, caring and welcoming to people. And it was just kind of like a switch flipped. And I just, you know, I just didn't want to, I didn't want any, any of it, you know, it was really strange. But Cameron, how did you kind of get yourself out of that kind of low point in your life then? Uh, that's a good question. My, so about a year after my concussion, maybe a little bit less, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, she got diagnosed with cancer and I just, it, it puts things into perspective, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So you don't know what the future holds with your family, with your mom. I'm in France. She's in Canada. Uh, shortly after she got diagnosed with cancer, we decided to move home. But even, even, I, I, I won't say more of a wake up call. I don't know if you could put it on, put it into different levels, but I had a friend who I played with at 
at Poe in France who passed away in his sleep not long after. So the, you know, my age, healthy kid just had a heart problem that never got picked up on, which was strange because he was, you know, a rugby player. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the history behind, behind that, but won't get into it. Uh, so when you have things like that happen, it kind of just puts everything into perspective and, you know, you really realize, okay, it's not the end of the world. It's the end of my career, but I was, I'm 27 now. I was 26 or 25 at the time. You know, I got, I got tons of life ahead of me, so it's not the end of the world, you know? And it's probably a natural progression that you've become an ambassador for obviously concussion awareness and things of that nature. How did that come about that you wanted to get involved in obviously promoting the awareness of it? Uh, in France, you know, I'll be honest, it's, it's very, uh, it's an injury that since I've been here anyways, I was, I first moved to France in 2011 first two years I was there uh I don't know how many players I've seen knocked out knocked out cold and not miss a minute and not miss a minute or you know go uh they won't come off and so in the academy level if you go off for a head knock you can't come back on so they they'd be knocked out cold and I'd I've witnessed this numerous times and they come back to shake their head. Trainer comes out, gives them some water, asks them some questions, and then he keeps playing. So where I'm from in Canada, especially with ice hockey, um, being such a big sport and the NHL being in the limelight all the time, I think it's gotten a bit more attention than it has in France. France is a bit of a culture that's kind of, you know, suck it up and suck it up and, and keep going on. I, I think those cases were a few were, were a bit special because I, I can't see that happening now, but between 2011 and 2014, uh, I've seen that a few times. Um, the way my club handled my concussion personally wasn't, wasn't up to professional standards. Um, you know, I had to look up the concussion protocol, the IRB return to play protocol myself, follow it, uh, numerous arguments with the physios and the trainers and, and whatnot, just a bit of a mess. You know, it was kind of very, very, very amateur at a professional level. So, uh, I still have a lot of friends that play. And that's kind of what motivated me to get into, you know, and it's all, it's all my opinion. It's all my experience. It's all, it's all volunteer. It's not, you know, I don't mind kicking a fuss and making people pissed off. If you're not going to please any, you're not going to please everybody in life. I've kind of realized. And as long as you're telling the truth and you're being honest and you're doing it for a good outcome, which is, ultimately the safety of the players that are still playing the game. I don't care what anybody says. It's, it's unethical to, you know, to, to treat it any differently.
I'm quite hor- a little bit qu- quite horrified when you say, well, the French are a little bit behind the times, so to speak, in terms of the their player well-being, player safety, because you're thinking, well, within world rugby, you just assume that following the IOB standard, they're one of the top nations. Um, from a league perspective, you think they would want to be keeping, well, in essence, what is a product yeah. at the peak of fitness that you would have thought they would have precedent to want to be uh, being on top of their game in terms of player safety. Yeah, you'd, I mean, you'd think that, right? But at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's a business, right? It's a big business. And like you said, you know, we, we are essentially a product. We are a commodity. And if they, if you're not, if, you're a bit of a head case and you don't want to come back too early from injury, or if you're not going to push yourself to come back a week early, you know, they're, they're going to treat you differently. I've always kind of, I had a, I had neck surgery as well at 21 years old. And I remember the, the physio was not impressed that I wanted to take an extra two weeks just for my confidence, which the coach was fine with, but the physio was, you know, just, super angry with me about it which I thought was very strange you know but I guess everybody has pressures from that come from different places I I I don't know what it's like in a manager position or in a physio position I only know what it's like in a player position and I I don't envy those guys jobs and I'm not saying they're terrible people I'm not saying they're they're unethical but I'm just saying that you know sometimes you got to put business aside and you got to, you know, look at the, at the person and look at the, the long-term health of, of them. And again, that's just, I've only played in two clubs in France. So I, I don't know if it's like that everywhere. But that's but. quite astonishing, Cameron. You say that, that the physio was putting more precedent for you want for, for, for you to go back to playing but the coach was quite content with with you having that time off to regain your confidence. I'd have thought it'd been the other way around. Yeah, it's. I mean, each to their own, right? I don't know. I, I that's a question I I ask myself too. But at the end of the day, I for me, I I didn't mess around anything with my neck and nothing with my head. I wasn't going to take any risks for for those two injuries. You know, there are uh, far too many repercussions uh, behind if you don't treat them, treat them properly. Well, you only got one head, you only got one neck. Yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah. But obviously, as we pro- progress now on to, obviously, the H- H- was HIA in terms of head injuries, do you think, from your perspective, at the top, be it the IRB, is doing enough for it? Well, for one, I'll, no, definitely not. The HIA protocol where they take the player off for 10 minutes, assess them, and then can put them back out, for me, that's that just... How do I put this? Concussion symptoms show up 
days, weeks later. So to limit it to 10 minutes and then risk them going back out on the field again, is it's barbaric. You know, I feel like in a hundred years when people know more about the brain and they've done more studies, they're going to look back at this time and be like, man, they were risking a lot of people's lives without even noticing it. Well, you probably had a head of the story with George North. I think he, in one match he managed to get two concussions in just in one game. He's lucky. He's he's lucky he lived through that because there's a lot of people that get two head knocks in a game or too short of time. Uh, Rowan Stringer, uh, Ben Robinson. You know those those are a few examples. But there's yeah, there's a, a lot of examples of that happening. It's not uncommon. You know. But do you think, from your experience personally, concussion would be more of a problem in ice hockey as opposed to rugby, or do you think it's more problematic in rugby because, obviously, at the NHL level, they've outlawed certain hits and things like that to to kind of put a stamp on it and kind of regulate it well. Nothing above, I don't know what it was. You can't check in certain ways like you used to just to, well, negate it yeah. completely to, to to not cause those unnecessary collisions. Yeah, well, you know, the NHL has its own problems too, right? Like they're settling, in the middle of settling a, law, a lawsuit to loads of different players I've been in touch with. With one uh, in particular who's... Uh, very outspoken when it comes to head injuries in the NHL. Daniel Carcillo, who's a Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, he's, he's, they're going through their own thing, right? And it's not pretty. So I, I don't think one's better than the other. I think both are trying, are trying, and I put trying with quotation marks Mm -hmm. because, I think a lot of it is publicity and 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 whatnot. But for me, the first thing that needs to go is uh, the HIA protocol. The ten minutes, if they're suspected for a concussion, take them off, leave them, and take them off the game. But it, without being able to go back on. But then at the same time, I understand the argument where people would say, "Oh, but then somebody, some neurologist, can target," you know, a let's say the best player on on Wales and take him out of the game and then you know if they end up losing by a few points everybody will be in a in a fuss so it's a delicate topic but at the end of the day for me it's just it really comes down to player safety but what would your advice be say for kids listening to this because obviously they got to what I'm trying to emulate be it's uh, the highlight reels they see on television, be it hit, big hits, things like that. So obviously that's going to be very much a problem. I think uh, the one that springs to mind would have been England versus South Africa as we're recording this last week with Owen Farrell's hit on that South African. Obviously somebody replicates that as a, a youngster and gets it wrong as they put yeah. it in, in the media, they're gonna knock, he's gonna, somebody's going to knock his head off. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what would I say to youngsters? 
Uh, you know, don't I more to the parents really to not be naive and think that your your little your little boy or girl is being looked after. You know, coaches at all levels, at the grassroots level, in any sport, need to be held accountable for for their players. If somebody comes off the field because they headed a headed a soccer ball, uh, or sorry, football, <laughs> um, you know, and they and they're dizzy and they have headaches and you know something like that, you might think, oh, it's it's okay, it'll pass. But, you know, that's a sign of a concussion and that person needs to go to to a doctor right away. Um, so for me, really, it's there's not much you can do at the highest levels at this point because it is such a business and it's such a, a such a, a market. Right. So I think the way it's going to change really is by pe- people, uh, um, parents and peers really starting to understand that this is a very, very dangerous and pretty common injury. Um, For example, I just started rowing, which I was going to ask you for some tips. (laughs) But uh, uh, at the rowing club that I joined, one of the parents was telling me that his, his kid wanted to play rugby and he just wouldn't let him. He said, no, you're, you're, you're far too good of a rower for one. And you need to preserve your, 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 your brain, right? Like that was his main reason for, I I don't know if he forced his son not to play, but I think he convinced him to, to not play because it should be the child's choice at the end of the day. But for like, for example, I won't let my kid play American football or Canadian football for if that matter, which is pretty, pretty much the same thing, just bigger field uh, and one less down. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a touchy subject. It really is. But obviously Cameron, you, you'd have played multiple uh, contact sports growing up. Yeah. Which you think is probably on reflection, maybe the worst precursor for concussions uh between lacrosse i played lacrosse which if you if you don't know what lacrosse is look it up it's pretty pretty crazy sport box lacrosse canadian box lacrosse it's it's pretty savage uh i played football not soccer but you know football with pads and helmet and uh rugby and ice hockey all four of them and i i can't you know that's a good question because i can't really pin which one is the worst i only played football for three three years um i didn't like the mentality behind it which was just smash and beat the crap out of each other so that's kind of what turned me off of it. Rugby's, uh, rugby's uh, another uh, similar ball game in itself. But when you have ice and hard concrete, as you do in 
lacrosse and ice hockey when you take a bad hit take a bad fall and you bang your head off of the ice it doesn't matter if you're wearing a helmet uh an ice hockey or lacrosse helmet or you know scrum cap for example if you bang your head off of the ground you're your brain is bouncing within your skull. You know, you don't have to be a, a scientist to know to know that that's going to do some damage. So I think they're all kind of in their own way. You got to be cautious. I mean, I'm not saying bubble wrap your children or whatever. And sport is good. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going out there and having fun and hitting people and getting hit and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's just about recognizing, recognizing and removing the, the athlete when they've uh, experienced a concussion, a traumatic brain injury, we should say. But what, what would you see people do going in the future? Would you say get rid of those sports completely because of the risk or leave it up to the individual who's performing in the sport and their parents to obviously weigh up the risks and either back away from it as a result or stick with something they enjoy and obviously know that deep down there is a, well, probably my, my, not a minute risk of it, but you are to some degree playing with your brain health. I think that at every every level you need to have so if i was if for example my if i had a kid that was going to join soccer five even if it's with a bunch of five and six year olds age grade soccer the person that's in charge of the kids the coach should have to take a mandatory one two day course just on concussions in my opinion i i think every single sport whatever it is the coach the person in charge in order to be a coach of that sport he or she has to know the risks and and recognizing um traumatic brain injuries because if not so many go swept under the rug and that's what's that's the real danger behind it is that so that they are very much uh, aware of the symptoms yeah. to look out for, be it, well, yeah. even players themselves are going to try and play it down to a certain extent so they're not taken off? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Because when I, you know, when I was a kid, I'd, in a big game, you're going to say anything to to stay in the game, even if you're seeing stars or or you're dizzy or you can only see out of one eye. I mean, I've done it. I've done it loads of times and you know, I had to retire from rugby at the age of 25. So, uh, yeah, it's just, I think it's just about properly educating and the, the knowledge is, is there and it's getting better and better. You know, I think people are just, people are starting to wake up to it. Uh, so it just needs to keep snowballing from there. And my final question to you, Cameron, before we up, uh, wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking, uh, if you could, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, 
what would that be? Uh, don't be naive. Educate yourselves on the risks of traumatic brain injuries. So once again, Cameron, thanks again for the coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's the pleasure has been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Cameron and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at cdps4 and at jamesorroberts11 on Twitter and Facebook. And again, do check out my free resources at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check that out. The link will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsim.com under the category sports. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.